So the first ambulance service in America was actually staffed completely by young black men with the goal to kind of address the disparities in emergency services to communities of color. It was one physician who gathered all these men and trained them and really taught them how to be great EMTs and provide care for their communities because they weren't really getting any attention or access to this care. And that's when they, you know, established the first ambulance service. And after being established, like very soon after, the organization was deprived of all of their resources and replaced with an all-white staff by the city. Nina is a senior at Georgetown University studying human science. She co-founded EMT Tomorrow in June 2020 with Jalen and Isaiah. Outside of EMT Tomorrow, Nina is involved with Georgetown Emergency Medical Service as EMT and Director of Organizational Equity, and she's also working on an honors research thesis about EMT training. She hopes to further explore her passion for improving health equity by attending a dual jurist doctor master of public health degree program. Jalen is a senior at Georgetown University, double majoring in biology of global health and Spanish and Portuguese studies. In June 2020, she, along with Nina and Isaiah, co-founded EMT Tomorrow. At Georgetown, Jalen volunteers as an EMT with Georgetown EMS. Within the organization, she is a crew chief, ambulance driver, and director of ambulance operations. In addition to her passion for EMS, Jalen conducts cancer research with zebrafish and is a member of GU Jawani, the university's South Asia Bhangra dance team. After her Georgetown career, Jalen hopes to attend medical school and continue to advocate for equity and cultural competence in the healthcare industry. Jalen and Nina, y'all met, and then also Isaiah, but he's not here with us today. Y'all met in 2020, I believe, right? And started EMT Tomorrow? Yeah. So Nina and I actually met our freshman year. So in August of 2018, we were freshly, you know, new to Georgetown and both very interested in the healthcare industry. We both decided to take the Georgetown EMS um, EMT training course that's offered on campus, which is actually how we became close friends and really got passionate about the EMS workforce. So for several months, we took this EMT training course and really learned, you know, how to be the best EMTs we can be. From there, we went on to, you know, join Georgetown EMS called GERMS and work as EMTs, actually do patient care, see what it's like to be an EMT and apply all of that knowledge that we gained from our training. And then COVID hit, And we were all sent home from campus in March of 2020. So obviously in that time, we weren't able to ride as EMTs and serve our Georgetown community. So there was this, you know, kind of this one void that we were feeling with regard to our passion for EMS, but also just a lot of extra time that we were gaining because we were in this virtual learning environment and not on campus doing, you know, X, Y, Z other things that we were doing. And I think in the peak of COVID, that's when the healthcare industry was really starting to get a lot of attention, way more than it had before, just, you know, in emergency rooms with COVID patients as a, like, in addition to actual um, first responders who are going to like serve these COVID patients. And with that, and all this extra time, Nina and I really were just reflecting on our experiences as EMTs and the training that we went through. And we started to kind of realize these gaps in training and areas of inaccessibility. And that got our gears turning, you know, about how EMS is not as accessible of a field as we perhaps might have, you know, once thought it was, or as others may think it is. And 
you know, like I said, we had all this time because of COVID. So we were able to actually take this idea and this problem that we realized and create a company to help address it within our DC community. And just as far as meeting Isaiah and everything, a fun fact is that we've actually never met him in person. We were connected to him by a professor in my department who said, this kid will be amazing. He's healthcare management and policy major. He understands the finances, something that me and Jalen didn't have a great grasp on at that point. For the past year, we've been meeting virtually with Isaiah. And of course, we want to meet up with him as soon as possible once we all get back to the Georgetown campus. That's like first on our priority list. But that's the story on how we met Isaiah, which is funny considering that we started a whole company together and haven't even met him in person yet. Isn't that incredible? Like during this COVID time, the company I'm at right now, I am their fourth hire and you know, like a core team member, at least because we're so early. And I would assume Isaiah is not only a core team member, but also a co-founder. And I've never met them either in person. Like people are building companies and finding co-founders and have never met in person. Yeah, no, I totally understand. It's, it's wild how we're all meeting via Zoom. You mentioned the inaccessibility that you noticed. What, what is this inaccessibility in EMT training? There's a few different factors. First being the financial cost. While firefighters and police officers, they get their training paid for, but EMTs are kind of left in the dust when it comes to getting financial support in their training. It can cost anywhere from, in DC at least, it's $2,000 to $5,000 for the current courses that are offered. These programs, most of them also don't offer any scholarship options, or if they do offer those options, is usually contingent upon you working free as an EMT volunteer rather than having a paid position. So this really excludes people who need to work in a paid position and only allows people with the privilege to volunteer rather than working to get paid to work as an EMT in the district. Another barrier being geographically, there's just a gap in course offerings in Eastern DC. This also happens to be where the lower income communities in DC exist. So four out of five of the current courses are offered in Ward 2, which not only is more affluent ward, but also is highly inaccessible by transportation or public transportation. So you know, if you did want to come over to Ward 2 to take your class, it's just hard to get over here because there's not buses that come over very frequently. It's just, there's a whole mess around that. So those are the two biggest issues that we kind of identified when we started working on EMT tomorrow. Just also socially, I think it can be difficult. There's not a lot of social support offered in a training that is really difficult to complete. So a core aspect of what we want to do is make a course that addresses the social barriers, creating more teaching assistance in the class to help you learn the material and offering things like food during class and things that you wouldn't necessarily consider as a core function of an EMT training program, but we want to offer those, those aspects of the training. Who have you noticed this is affecting the most when it comes to not being able to hop on the buses or pay for this training? Are you noticing certain demographics or people who want to get involved or being left behind at greater numbers? Yeah, well, what we've seen is that nationally, the demographic of the EMTs does not reflect the demographic of the population they're serving. So around 80% of EMTs are white, only around 8% of EMTs are black, where I believe the percentage is around 15% of Americans are black. Same goes for Hispanic and Asian. Those two populations are also underrepresented in EMS. As far as in DC, we've seen that the two largest EMS employers in the city have to actually outsource a lot of their EMTs from communities outside of the communities that they're serving, which creates an issue of cultural competence and understanding the patient population that you're serving, understanding their specific needs, 
knowing when to say, hey, this is super important that you go to the hospital and having that connection to your patient population or saying, hey, this is just a nosebleed. You don't need to go to the hospital. This will be expensive for your bills. And it's really those little things in patient care that we don't think about on a daily basis. But having an EMT provider that understands your needs is really, really crucial um, to providing the best care and having the, the best patient satisfaction in your visit. Kind of in addition to that, EMT training is really unique because it only requires a high school diploma. So there's a lot of people who are interested in healthcare or, you know, just, you know, helping others, you know, the medical field, but there's like a lot of variety of what you can do in the medical field. And, you know, there's people in lower income communities who maybe don't have the access to higher education, which a lot of, you know, medical professions are requiring now, but the EMT profession still only needs a high school diploma. But when you add that financial barrier, the geographic barrier, those people who are interested in entering the healthcare Mm -hmm. workforce who have that high school diploma, right, who like could easily enter hypothetically, but then you have that barrier. So they can't, you know, pursue that passion of helping others and getting into the medical career. And then besides that, a lot of EMTs will go on to become paramedics or nurses, you know, it's kind of a good stepping stone for other healthcare fields. But if you have that barrier right before to even get, you know, your foot in the door, then our big population of people who just because they maybe can't afford it or access the class can't pursue that passion, which is obviously very unfortunate. Yeah, no, I was totally unaware of this issue. So you are basically trying to help people in these disadvantaged positions get access to this type of training. Are you kind of creating your own curriculum? So the program's offering a free, tuition-free, transportation-covered, um, certification fees covered. We're creating a free program um, to provide national registry EMT training. National registry means that you can practice as an EMT anywhere if you get a national registry training. In addition to having the free program, which isn't something that's offered by any other group in the city or really nationally, there's very, very few training programs that are offering that free training. We are doing the things like covering transportation, providing food in class, covering all those hidden fees that often add up to around $500 that you don't think of are going to be a fee going into a program. And then suddenly you need to buy textbooks, you need to buy a vitals kit, you need to pay to get a license. There's all these little hurdles that come up along the way that we have discovered and now are just addressing all of those. We will be our own training institution. And then past that, we'll also be placing all of our students that we train within our institution to other EMS agencies. That way they can be immediately hired and enter the EMS workforce. So that's kind of our twofold uh, program that's unique and unlike any other EMS you know, training institutions, because not only is the training free and you know, addressing all these inaccessibilities as Nina stated, but we're also giving them the job placement so they don't have to go job hunting, applying for jobs. It's it's hectic. So we would be placing our students immediately once they finish their training so they can enter the workforce right away, start getting paid while also serving the community and, you know, doing this healthcare practice that they are passionate about and wanting to do. You mentioned all these hidden costs and covering it, doing this for free. How are you able to afford that? How are you able to cover all these costs? And then how are y'all getting accredited? How do you have the legitimacy or authority to, to train others? As far as financing, what we've done so far is partnerships have been huge. The most important thing. We started with doing the classic things that startup nonprofits do, collecting donations, um, doing small grant sources, specifically like within Georgetown, doing some startup incubators, applying for small Georgetown funds. And then we 
talk to first EMS agencies in DC, specifically two biggest partners we have right now is DC Fire and EMS and American Medical Response, who both really are the largest EMS providers in uh, the district. And they both partnered to provide supplies, to provide compensation for our medical director, our instructor. And the reason they're so willing to partner with us is because they have a shortage of EMTs in the city um, where they need these slots filled. So we're basically saying, if you give us the means to train EMTs, we will give you the EMTs to work for you. It is just a huge gap that they've been filling. They have to pay a fee once a year when they don't have enough EMTs from inside the city and they have to outsource to outside the district. So it's just a really interesting process wrapped up in them needing to recruit more EMTs and us being able to offer that service for them. Additionally, we're partnering in the process, kind of working between two different options of workforce development centers that will host the program so that we are trained their beneficiaries. So the benefit of that being, we say we will train the people that you are offering services to. In return, they give us a financial, they, you know, help fund the program. So those are the two largest kind of sources and a mutual benefit both ways with those relationships. But of course, we're also sourcing in the traditional senses. We have a grant writing team who just works on sending, you know, government, foundation, business grants, all of that. But we're also open to exploring new options. I don't think we found the perfect method yet. We don't have a way to get everything covered yet to this point. We're still a startup. We're exploring kind of new ways to drive revenue sources. So regarding, you know, how we're going to be an accredited institution. So first of all, the great thing is that since we're partnered with uh, American Medical Response, AMR, they've been a great help in finding us a medical director and instructor. So our medical director, you know, is an MD and he has served as a medical director for several EMS agencies, including AMR in the past. So he knows, you know, the logistics of what is necessary to become an accredited institution. And they also have found us an instructor who is licensed to be teaching the National Registry EMS curriculum. So internally, those two individuals are going to be like, the reason that we are like actually legit and able to provide training. It's not me and Nina who are teaching it. Like we have, you know, a real instructor, a real medical director who have years and years of experience in this field and how to provide, you know, the best EMT training possible. From there, once we have those two key players, we apply through the DC Higher Education Licensing Commission, as well as the DC Department of Health to become one, a, you know, adult learning center. Um, That's like, you know, not really related to EMS specifically, but that's saying that we can be a training institution within the district. And then once we have that, we go to the DC Department of Health, we submit our curriculum, we say, hey, look, we have a medical director, we have an instructor, we have all the equipment that you require, and we have, you know, all all the pieces are put together, we just need your okay to actually offer the course. And that is really just, you know, some logistical paperwork. It's not necessarily like a lot of hurdles that we have to jump through. We just submit the licensing, which we're in the process of doing right now. We submit these forms, we get all of the approval. And then from there, we are now accredited as an EMT training institution within the district. And we can begin our course. Now you've got the money to cover a course. You've got the credentials to to run it and to train people. Walk us through what a course actually looks like. First of all, EMT training, it, it varies, you know, based on the institution that's offering it and what kind of things they want to add but it's typically around 120 to 150 hours of training. And you can consolidate that to any time period that you want. So for example, the class that Nina and I took was a semester long because it fit with our academic schedule at Georgetown. 
we are hoping to have an eight week program that's more consolidated. So several days a week, our students would be coming in for training. And essentially the way that the class is set up is that you, you come, you know, you're in a classroom, you have your instructor who is teaching you, you know, the actual like material, the content that you would need to know as an EMT in a traditional like lecture style course. And then from there, like, you know, mentioned before, we're going to have TAs who will kind of join along like a second section of the class where students will be able to actually practice a lot of these skills that you would need as an EMT. So we, you know, are going to have CPR dummies. So our students will be practicing CPR, how to set up oxygen tanks, how to, you know, stabilize an airway, various like practical skills that are very important and are tested on the national registry exam. So it's kind of like that twofold lecture, traditional lecture, in addition to actual practical experience that would be proctored and monitored and assisted with teaching assistants who can actually, you know, help every student one-on-one as they have questions. And we're planning to have 10 to 15 students for our first cohort. And obviously we hope that in the future we will have the capacity to accept more students as we go along. We want to kind of start with this number just because we want to make sure that we can actually provide this individualized support to every student to ensure that they can be successful because it is a rigorous training. And once that proves to be successful, we would love to have new people so we can continue to add new EMTs into the workforce. Y'all just recently got your 501c3 status, correct? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Congrats. Can y'all walk us through like what that's like for people who might be thinking about that, but maybe even like right before that, how you even decided to go nonprofit versus for-profit? Something that's really interesting, and this is a question that has, you know, come up more recently. Nina and I never really considered doing a for-profit model when we came up with the idea to create, you know, create a business that's a free EMT training class, primarily because the mission of our organization is to address the disparities that a lot of the for-profit training agencies have created. So it didn't really, Nina and I didn't really have a lot of business experience. So when we were you know, creating this idea, we weren't really thinking about for-profit. We thought nonprofit would just be the standard way to go. And obviously doesn't mean that we're not looking for ways for sustainable revenue. You know, a lot of nonprofits can be very financially successful. We just want all of our funding to directly go back into the program. So that way we're like actively serving our community and kind of achieving this goal of making sure that we're improving accessibility in the healthcare field. So that's kind of why we chose the nonprofit model. For those who are interested in, you know, going into nonprofits, EMT Tomorrow was really lucky because I think when we were starting out this process of, you know, logistically figuring out what all it takes to start a company, again, we don't have, we didn't have any business experience. We didn't really necessarily know what we were doing. All we knew is that we wanted to start an EMT training course. That's kind of where we have more experience. I've taught the Georgetown EMT training class several times. I know what the actual meat of it entails, but there's a lot of backbone structure that you have to create before that we weren't really familiar with. So first of all, we did lots and lots of networking with you know, just the DC community, we started within Georgetown talking to a lot of the, you know, there's just like a, a lot of different organizations on campus. We have a center for social justice, different things like that, where we just wanted to go and say, like, who do we need to talk to, to really figure out how to do this? We eventually were connected with the American University Entrepreneurship Law Clinic, which is a pro bono law clinic with third year law students who actually help startup companies in DC do any of the um, logistical frameworks that they need to, you know, do to get started. So it doesn't have to be just like for nonprofits, but since we were a nonprofit, they actually helped us completely on our 501c3 application, uh, which was 
really, really helpful for us because they knew a lot of the legal jargon and just like important factors that needed to be included in a successful application that we might not have necessarily had the experience to figure out. So we were lucky in that sense. Obviously, a lot of people who are like nonprofit startups have to fill out that application on their own. But I think the thing that really helped us there was networking so hard and just talking to so many different people that we were able to land on this service that was able to help us. Um, I think that would be my best, I don't know if it's necessarily advice, but just like important thing that I think that we successfully did, which landed us in our success of actually getting the 501c3 status. I want to close with one more quick question, which is as y'all are going moving forward, how can people that are listening to this contribute or help out? I would say, of course, if anyone has connections to foundations or organizations or individual donors who are passionate or interested in what we're doing, of course, we'd love to be connected to them. But I would say the best way to reach us is to go to our website at emttomorrow.com. And of course, we have a donation page there on the website, which you can donate or our contact information is at the bottom, emt.tomorrow at gmail.com. Last thing, in addition to that, we are always looking for helping hands on the team. We have been searching for a social media intern to really help us with our like all of our social media and our website um, pages. So if anyone is interested in that, and if anyone else, again, is passionate about EMS workforce or healthcare equity in general, um, we would love to have extra members on our team just so we can actually accomplish our goal of starting our class in February. So reach out if you're interested. So excited to have had y'all. Thanks for taking the time to join us. I'm, I'm sure our listeners had a great time listening to. And for those of you listening, thanks for tuning into this week's episode. I hope you all have a great weekend. We'll catch y'all next week.